Hello, family. Well, careful readers of the book of Acts know that something is wrong by the end of chapter 7. Have you picked it up yet? The young church is several years old at this point, and the movement is growing. The leaders are identified. They're empowered. New structures are put into place to support the growth. The gospel is shared powerfully. There are miracles. But all this only happens in Jerusalem. And that would have made sense to devout followers of Jesus. In the Hebrew scriptures, evangelism is Jerusalem-centric. The nations are to come to Jerusalem to worship the true God. And the prophets talk about this everywhere. Here's just one verse from Zechariah 8. Many people in powerful nations will come to Jerusalem to seek the Lord of heaven's armies and to ask his blessing. So this was a major theme in Jerusalem, that you build a great city, you build it around the temple, and eventually the nations will hear of the beauty of your God and will come to you. And so it must have been very shocking to the disciples when Jesus says in Acts 1.8, You will receive power when the Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Now this, this was an enormous pivot. The the mission hadn't changed. The mission that God had given to Abraham to bless the world through the descendants of Abraham, that hadn't changed. But the method's changing. Now they're not supposed to wait for the nations to come. They're supposed to go out. In the first seven chapters of Acts, which could take several years, um, they essentially ignore this message. You never see a, a council about how are we going to share the gospel with the Samaritans. You never see um, a powerful prayer meeting about church planning in Judea. It just, like so many times when God is pouring new wine or changing something, we're so entrenched in the old that they just don't even seem to be entertaining it. So the Jerusalem church stays put, and they keep doing, kind of focusing on what they've always focused on, um, Jerusalem. Now, there was probably another reason why they did not aggressively share the gospel with their Samaritan neighbors. They hated them. Um, Luke 17, John, uh, Jesus calls the Samaritans another race. They looked down on them as a despised race. They thought they'd been unfaithful to the covenant. It was seen as sinful to even have dinner with them. When a Jewish person would walk north to Galilee, they would go around Samaria, adding many days to their trip. So lots of bad blood there. And probably they, they weren't real excited about the idea of this enemy being invited into the family of God. Well, uh, one way or another, the kingdom of God grows. And if the believers will not go to Samaria on their own, God will give them a little nudge, and that's what happens. Uh, verse 1 of Acts 8, And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And then we read again in verse 4, Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. The Greek word for scattered is diaspora, uh, it's used a lot in the Greek Old Testament to describe the Jewish people being scattered in the exile. And the idea is, is that uh, there's a, there to be witnesses wherever they're sent. And that's what's happening here. So the, the church in Jerusalem 
will not leave Jerusalem to share the gospel, so God allows a persecution that forces them to change and moves them out. Um, one way or another, the kingdom of God grows. Luke is reflecting on these events a generation later. God's purpose was much clearer then. Uh, I doubt that when the Jerusalem families were experiencing persecution and packing up and, and leaving their homes, they, they had much of an idea of what God was doing. Uh, and I wonder if something similar is happening today, that uh, a generation from now will see God using this pandemic to uh, move his people into new creative forms of mission, but right now it just feels like chaos. So uh, I wonder how God is using the pandemic to nudge us uh, or thrust us uh, into the world to fulfill his mission in new ways. A lot of people are worried about the future of the church. Um, I am not one of them. One way or another, the kingdom of God grows. It may look different um, than it does now, but the kingdom of God will grow. Philip is one of the Greek-speaking Jews leading the effort to care for hungry widows. Uh, he's not an apostle, and he finds himself thrust into Samaria, a, a place he was trained to hate. Uh, and he just starts to do what he saw Jesus do and what he saw the apostles do. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And uh, he, he affirms or authenticates uh, the proclamation of the word by praying for healing. Or maybe we should say God authenticates the proclamation of the word. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits came out of many who were possessed crying with a loud voice, were paralyzed or lame or healed. So there was much joy in that city. Now, what happens next happens on the mission field in some places. In some parts of the world, the people of a village put their trust in a local spirit to protect them, perhaps a spirit of the forest or a spirit of a lake. And when a Christian missionary comes and um, talks about Jesus, the villagers, uh, they want to know if we trust this, this Jesus, will we be protected from the, the spirit of the forest? Um, and something like that is probably going on here. And often uh, the, the spiritual leader of the village will engage the missionary first on behalf of the village. Uh, the text talks about a city, but probably at this time we would think of it more as a village in Samaria, a more rural region to the north. Simon is the spiritual leader of uh, this remote Samaritan village. And the text says that he's, he's practiced magic in amazing ways. People call him great. Uh, he, he has quite a reputation um, as a magician in the community. And when we think about magic here, we're not talking about card tricks. Uh, Professor David Allen um, has written a, a now classic book about magic in the Greco-Roman Empire. And he says there were four ways people used magic pretty regularly uh, to protect from illness, to hurt an enemy, to make someone love you, and to receive revelation from God. Using today's language, we might think of uh, Simon as a, as a kind of shaman 
uh, in this uh, remote village, uh, kind of a healer, doctor, physician, priest. Um, the historian of religion, Mercier Eliade, says in his book, Shamanism, that certain individuals possessing magical religious powers are found in all primitive societies. They are separated from the rest of the community by the intensity of their own religious experience. This small mystical elite not only directs the community's religious life, but, as it were, guards its soul. So Simon seems to be functioning in this way, in this village. Uh, he is someone who has very strong spiritual powers. Verse 10, the man is the power of God that is called great. So Peter comes into the village. He starts talking about Jesus. He heals. He casts out demons. Many believe and are baptized. Verse 13, even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. But what's happening here is sometimes called a power encounter. Uh, one veteran missionary returned from the field after 30 or 40 years, and he wrote this. He said, There is a remarkably close relationship between the growth of churches today and this kind of healing ministry. When the gospel first penetrates a region, if we don't go with the understanding of and use of the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit, we just don't make much headway. And then he says, a power encounter is a visible, practical demonstration that Jesus Christ is more powerful than the false gods or spirits worshipped or feared by a people group. So that seems to be what's happening here. Simon and his neighbors are very familiar with spiritual power, and they're just amazed by a greater spiritual power. Jesus is more powerful than the spirits they know, so they believe in him, and Simon believes as well. Now, does this sort of thing just happen on the mission field? Um, I, I, don't, I don't think so. We could say Philip is ministering in word and power. He shares the truth, the ideas, the beliefs of the gospel, uh, he prays for healing in the power of the gospel. They learn the word, they experience the living word, and, and that leads to their conversion. Well, let's not think for a moment about remote jungle villages and tree spirits and all that. What, what might that look like for us today? Um, my own reading of this text, and not everybody disagrees, but that uh, Philip wasn't an apostle, he was just a normal guy. And that this is something that uh, believers can, if God wills, witness in word and power. I, I think something we can do is just pray for people. Not in some big faith healer kind of way, but uh, after a conversation, uh, if, if it's appropriate and uh, if need has been shared, just ask for the opportunity to pray with or for the person if, if that feels respectful to them and safe for them. And that, I think, gives an opportunity for the Spirit to come in in um, amazing ways. Um, I, I noticed one of the things that had happened during COVID is that I've my personal prayer life has probably grown, but I've stopped praying for people when I'm with them, you know, on the phone or six feet away in a park. Uh, it just felt awkward and I've stopped. And this passage made me um, just think about that. And this week, I've started again to 
try to weave prayer more back into um, my, my times with people. And I know you don't want to measure things like this, but several times I I sensed uh, the, the spirit moving, the, the wind kicking up in a, a way that I haven't sensed in, in some time. So one small way we can minister in word and power is just to begin praying for the people around us. The next part of the story has provoked uh, many doctoral dissertations and several denominations. Um, now, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. And there's all sorts of good questions that come up about the reception of the Spirit and all that sort of thing, but um, we're not going to talk about those today. I don't think that's really the main point of the passage. Uh, I, I think one thing that's probably going on here is it would have been natural for the Jerusalem believers to doubt the work of God among the hated Samaritans. So Peter and John come down and pray for these new believers, and they too receive the Holy Spirit just as happened in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. And uh, this is sometimes known as the Samaritan Pentecost. And so this, this is a authentication, validation. It's proof that the Samaritans are now part of uh, the same family of God, born again by the same Spirit. Now, when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. So Simon sees something. Um, we don't know what he saw. Um, sometimes in the book of Acts, when someone receives the Spirit, there, there's something visible that happens, uh, speaking in tongues or prophesying. Other times there's not. We don't know what happened here. But uh, somehow Simon knows that uh, something big is going on. Maybe he just sensed it, but he senses this power, and he, um, he wants to buy it. And from his point of view, that probably made sense, because Simon was used to the world of magic. Spiritual power in, in magic is transactional. Um, you, you you recite a formula, you perform a ritual, you wear a necklace, you look at the, uh, the liver of a bird for signs, you speak a spell, and these um, acts, these rituals invoke spiritual power. Um, spiritual power in the kingdom of God, though, is very different. And, um, I, I think we need to think about that for a minute. Jesus, of course is the model of how spiritual power flows and works in the kingdom of God. Uh, and, and he heals because he loves people. Let me read from Matthew 9, 35 to 36. This is a description of his ministry. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. 
And then he said, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray for the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into the harvest. So Jesus is, this, of course, the king of the kingdom of God. And the healing ministry is flows from his heart, his compassionate heart for the for, for people. Um, magic is very different. It's there's no person, there's no love. There's it's, it's a transaction. It's a way to just kind of a co it's a commodity in the spirit world. But Jesus gives the spirit because the spirit is the gift of God's presence. John twenty twenty one. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. You see what he's doing there? He's preparing to leave them, and he he wants them to have the, the gift of the Spirit. Uh, John 15, 26, When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. So the gift of the Spirit is uh, given to the believer so that they can abide in Christ, know Christ. I mean, John 15 is all about this. Uh, live in Christ, walk in Christ, um, minister in Christ. It's very relational. It, it's, a, it's the way Christ is present with his people um, in, in the world. Very different than, than magic. Um, and I suspect that's why uh, Peter so strongly re rebukes um, Simon in verse 20 uh, of Acts 8 and lets him know that um, this is more than a transaction going on here. Peter said, May your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You've neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart isn't right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours. Pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you, for I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. So, very strong words. Um, perhaps in these early foundational days, Peter just wants to make it very clear that, that this is not magic. Jesus is not just a great magician. Uh, this is about the kingdom of God and a relationship with this king uh, as the kingdom of God comes into the earth. The, the spirit is not a commodity to buy. It's a gift to receive. Christianity is not just a more powerful magic. It is life in the kingdom of the risen Christ. Well, Simon doesn't quite know what to do with this. Verse 24, And Simon answered, Pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. He's not really sure what to do. We're not really sure where he's coming from at this point, And we never find out. Verse 25, Now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. So the apostles continue the mission to the Samaritans. The next phase of the expansion of the church has begun. And, and next week we move into another uh, example of a uh, someone from the nations, this time uh, someone from Africa, who comes into the kingdom. Well, let's end by asking a couple of questions that this story uh, brings up. First, as God allows our lives to be disrupted and scattered, scattered by the pandemic, are we preaching the word? Uh, and I don't mean standing on the on the corner with a bullhorn. Um, I just mean, 
instead of looking at this as just a bad time or a hard time, am I seeing this as an opportunity to share the hope within me? Not some kind of um, cheesy hope as if I didn't have any problems, but the real hope that is getting us through this time. Um, it, it, when, when given the opportunity, do I ever talk about how my faith is helping me get through this difficult time? Do I talk about Jesus? Uh, am I seeing this uh, as a time maybe when people are more open to hearing about the love of Jesus? Second, am I praying for people? Again, uh, I, I'm not saying be a TV evangelist. I, I'm just thinking of when the Spirit prompts and there's it's appropriate at the end of a conversation, even on Zoom or six foot away in a park, you just pray for the person. Um, and invite God to come come in so that uh, the gospel that we live and share comes in word and power. Third question, have I received the Holy Spirit? I don't think the story that we're studying today is a normative picture of how a person received the Spirit. Uh, that raises a whole bunch of other questions. And in the book of Acts, there's a number of different ways people receive the Holy Spirit. I don't think you want to pick one passage say it, and say it always works like this, but I think that the story raises at least the possibility that a person can believe at some level in the content of the gospel and, and yet not be born again by the Spirit. That's what happens for a period with the Samaritans. They get it. They, they've responded intellectually, but they haven't been quickened and made alive by the Holy Spirit. So um, it, it's fair to ask. I've, I've known people where They've been in church many years and believed everything, but nothing has actually moved in their heart. Uh, they've never been born again by the Holy Spirit. And um, if something's stirring in you um, today, uh, ask for the Spirit to um, come in and, and save you, and cleanse you from your sins and lead you into fellowship with Jesus and give you a, a bigger mission for your life. Fourth question, is my faith transactional? Do I see the life of faith as a series of good things I do for the favor of the gods? Am I trying to buy God's favor and power kind of to earn it? Last question. Am I stuck? The Jerusalem church was stuck in Jerusalem. They were either unable or unwilling or lacked the imagination to move out and obey Jesus' command to witness to others. So is there an area in your life where you're stuck? Um, an area where God has been nudging you for years to take a step, to move, to move out of your comfort zone, to, to step into something new, and you just don't have whatever it takes to do it? Well, um, uh, I think it's a fair warning that um, if that's your case, it you might anticipate a little nudge. So you might want to get onto that um, before God has to help you a little bit. All right. Well, in keeping from what I said, uh, I'm going to start praying again, even though I'm looking at my phone. I know that in the spirit, I'm looking at you. So join me in prayer as, as we end. Oh, Lord. Um, it, uh, I suspect it's hard to sit in your room and watch this, and it's hard for me to give it in my study but this is part of where you've scattered us. This is part of the new world where we are living right now. And engaging the scriptures through technology is part of that new world. And Lord, I ask that you would anoint 
the teaching and hearing of the Word of God in All Souls Church by your Holy Spirit. I don't know what that would look like, but I pray, Holy Spirit, that we would teach and preach and pray in word and in power, and that the Holy Spirit would be at work as the scriptures are studied and preached and prayed, and that we would experience a fresh filling, a fresh awakening of the Holy Spirit in our church, even in this odd time when we can't gather on Sunday nights. And Lord, uh, by faith, we thank you for this scattering of the persecution that has left us in an odd way, sort of homeless for a little bit. It's not what any one of us would have chosen, but may in this season we be faithful to preach the word and with signs following. Lord, may we look back in the history of our church and say, my goodness, that was a fruitful season for our church. I know I've talked to several just this past two weeks who are engaging our church for the first time. And I pray, Lord, that you might bring men and women, boys and girls, to faith in you during this season, that our church might grow with people who've come to faith for the first time. And Father, finally, I pray for any who maybe have heard the gospel for years, but they've not yet received the Holy Spirit. They've not yet opened their heart to the presence and the gift of the Spirit. May by faith we all lay hands on them now and pray for that filling, and may they come to know you both with their mind and with their heart. We ask this in your name. Amen.